Let's bow our heads once again. Father, as we open your word, give us ears to hear, malleable spirits willing to receive what you've showed us in your word. Help me to teach it well. Help me to teach it rightly. As always, give everyone discernment to weigh everything and hold on to what is good. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the purpose, the purpose of Faith Bible Fellowship is to glorify God by developing disciples of Jesus Christ from spiritual birth to lifelong spiritual maturity. So says the bulletin every single week. And it's there in the back of the bulletin to remind everyone what we think we are doing here. And it's there to remind the leadership in the, of the church. It's there to remind the members of the church. It's, it's even there to give fair warning to visitors that uh, we have designs on you. <laughs> We, we, uh, we want your involvement in our church, whatever it may be, to result in your development as a, uh, a consistently developing disciple follower of Jesus Christ. So we, we do not take the view that our sole purpose is to persuade people to make an initial faith commitment to Jesus Christ, to, to appeal to Him to save you from sin and death, to pray a certain prayer, you know, we, to become saved, and then it's mission accomplished. We, we, uh, if you've not trusted Christ to save you from your sins, by all means, do so. It's, uh, it's crucially important to do so. Eternity hangs in the balance. But in terms of becoming a lifelong disciple or follower of Jesus Christ, salvation, you know, coming, you know, coming to that point where you first come to Christ in faith, that's not the end game. That's not the end of something. That's the beginning of something. It's the only possible beginning, but it's only, it's only a beginning. Uh, so what exactly do we mean by disciple? And how can you tell if you're one or not? And beyond being a, just simply a believer in Christ. If our goal is to make disciples and not just converts. And by the way, by the way, for those of you who weren't here last week, I'm kind of going over what we covered last week in more detail, uh, just, just very briefly. But that... Uh, uh, but that it's this process that we're called into of making making disciples. So how can you tell whether you're one or not? We began this last week. How can you tell if it's happening for you? Well, that's why we have that second part underneath our purpose. There is that we we've from Acts chapter two we see four indicators, four major indicators of Christian discipleship. Uh, drawn from the activities and functions of the primitive church as, divide, as described in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And we unpacked that some last week, especially the first one. But we see four essentials in there. Worship, the worship of God. You know, we define a developing disciple, a maturing disciple as one who's worshiping God corporately with other believers and then privately on your own time. You know, have an individual one-on-one time of of essentially worship it's not the same you know they might not do the same things exactly but it's a time between you and god instruct secondly instruction in the apostolic teaching which we see in acts chapter 2 it's the it's the the scripture you know growing in the knowledge of the scriptures and applying it in daily life the fellowship of the saints 
of being in fellowship with other believers, that this is that this is one of the marks of a growing, maturing disciple. And evangelism, sharing the good news, sharing Christ with those who, who don't know him, inviting and bringing others into the ranks of Jesus' disciples. And those four essential marks of discipleship that make up our, dis, our definition of a growing, maturing disciple is to remind us... The leadership, you know, what we're trying to do, what are we doing here? And and to it's also for you to be able to see and look at and say, is it working for me? And we phrase those things in a way that we hope that that it applies to you, whether you are have been long in the faith and you're a practicing believer of many, many years, or whether you're brand new, no matter where you are, if you're just coming back. You know, you've been out of the church and away from away from the Lord for a while. In whatever stage, whatever kind of stage you are, we've tried to phrase these in a way to to uh, remind you. You know, worship or to, is that me? Is it working? Worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism. And last week we covered the first one. We define a maturing disciple as one who's worshiping God both privately and other, with other believers. You know, corporate worship what we want to happen here when we come together on Sunday mornings, and private worship, private times of devotion, reading, prayer, between you and the Lord, away from church besides Sunday. Jesus told the woman at the well, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for this Father is seeking such people to worship Him. So, worship it's not just it's once again it's not just coming to church is it it's what you do when you get here and it's and it's it's having that private time with the lord away from you know when you're we're not a church it's just you and him so that's kind of the reader's digest condensed version of what was last week's sermon but today i want to finish what we were talking about what else does a disciple look like how can you tell if you are one? How can you tell you're growing as one, whether it's working for you? So secondly, we'll unpack these a little more. We define a maturing disciple as one who is growing in the knowledge of the Scriptures and applying it, the knowledge of the Scriptures they get, in daily life. Now notice again that the body of scriptural knowledge necessary to be a bona fide disciples is not quantified there. Uh, you, you see that. You know, a growing disciple should know this about the Bible and that about the Bible and this and this and this and this. Here are the requirements. No, it's just is growing in the knowledge of the, of the, from wherever you are, growing in the knowledge of Scripture and applying it. I ask a brand new developing disciple one time, brand new, what he knew about the Bible coming in. I mean, he'd, he'd been a Christian just for a short time, just days. and But he had something of a church background in his family. So I was trying to know where he was starting from, what he knew, because he had some sort of background, although he wasn't himself a Christian. And he knew, this is what he knew about the Bible. He said, there, I know there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And I said, well, okay, what's the Old Testament about? He said, well, I think it's about creation. Well, you know, a couple pages, you know, the first few pages are about creation. I said, but, you know, mine's like about a thousand pages long, you know. And he, so that's what he, that's what he knew. 
And from there, he grew leaps and bounds. You know, he, he grew in the knowledge of Scripture from there. And by the time he moved away from Oak Ridge, and I'll, I'll put it this way. His knowledge of the Scripture, by the time he left Oak Ridge and moved away out west, was not anywhere near where we try to get our high school students before we, they graduate from high school and go off to college or whatever they do. He wasn't anywhere near that. We, uh, but he met that definition in that part. He was growing in the knowledge of the scriptures and applying it in, in daily life. So this, this isn't just about where you are in terms of scriptural knowledge. It, it's where you are compared to last year. It's, uh, you know, it would probably be pretty hard to miss that we mean to teach you the Bible at our church. I, I, I think that would be hard to miss. You know, Bible's in our middle name. It's in the name of the church. Uh, the sermon remains a central part of our worship services. You know, it's a big thing. It's a big part of it. Uh, I've been listening to sermons uh, from another church here in town last month or so. This church provoked me to do so with a uh, with a postcard we got at home advertising a sermon series they had coming up, Six Things the Church Gets Wrong. And the, the first sermon title was, uh, The Good News is Not That Jesus Died and Rose Again. That was the first sermon title. So I listen to those. And they have two people preaching them, uh, like uh, two services, and I, they're two different sermons, so I listen to both. I, and uh, the second sermon was, the Bible is not God's word to everybody or for everybody. And so, you know, and so on. You know, there's there are six of them. Three of them they advertise, and three of them you have to listen to find out or go. And I felt compelled to listen. <laughs> they provoked me to, to listen to the sermons, and I've been thinking and praying about weighing in somehow. You know, you can't, you can't do that to me. You know, like there's sermons like that, and, uh, you know, I got, you know, not, uh, have nothing to say about it. So, but I've been, so, uh, but I was surprised that the sermons, when I listened to them online, they're 16 to 22 minutes long. 16 to 22, including the scripture reading at the beginning, which can take two couple of minutes. And that alone tells you something about how important the teaching aspect uh, is. Jesus said, Matthew 28, make disciples. You know, it's the main verb in Matthew 28, make disciples. By, among other things, by teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Jesus tells Matthew 4 that, that, that the Bible is our spiritual food. The, the, the word of God is our spiritual nourishment. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We, we, see, we see children, we have seen and we see now children growing up here. Some of them seem to get taller by the week, right? Why is that? What explains that? Their parents feed them all the time. Multiple times a day. 
Maybe five times. If it's like me when I was a teenager, like five times a day. (laughs) Spiritual growth without spiritual nourishment uh, in biblical instruction, it's really a near impossibility. All Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16 said, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So it's we see it's just absolutely necessary. And, you know, I've made the point before, and I wasn't the first to make the point. You, you can no longer hope to get all the nourishment you need for the week, you know, for a whole week on Sunday mornings, then you can hope to eat enough on Sunday to, to, to keep you going all through the week. Now, of course, there's that second part, growing in the knowledge of Scripture and applying it, applying it. I feel like something just came over me. Like, <laughs> do I have like a halo or something? Okay, maybe it's just me. The, uh, but we have to add obedience. We have to add. No, it's it's up. It's okay. Leave it up. It's, I've seen this before. We got these lights. I happened to be in the back. Someone else was up here at the front. And before we got the lights at all, I looked up. And it was like it's like looking in to somebody's house from the street. You can't even see the people up there. So anyway, I I need to be. Bright is fine. The uh, we have to add obedience to it. We have to add obedience to what we you know what with the Bible teaches it. It should be believed and obeyed, and those and really even the belief involves obedience. Uh, it, it's one thing to learn that well, for example, that Jesus taught it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? It's one thing to learn that, know that Jesus said it, know where it is in the Bible, or memorize the verse, but you really haven't learned it like a disciple, like a follower would learn it, until you give based on that promise, right? You don't know it until you give because you believe that it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's one thing to learn that Jesus taught us to forgive 70 times 7. It's one thing to know where that verse is. It's one thing to memorize that verse and and understand it. It's another thing to forgive someone based on that instruction. And so it really isn't about, when we're talking about Bible intake and Bible nourishment, it isn't about just intellectual knowledge of the Bible only. James, James addresses this straight on. He says, therefore... First chapter, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word, not hearers only who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You know, this is what James is talking about here. It's one of the dangers of a, of a really, it's one of the dangers of a, of a formal uh, Christian education like you might get at a Bible college or a seminary. Because 
in in a place like that, in terms of Bible knowledge, you know, it's like getting it. It's like drinking from a fire hose. You know, you got class after class after class, and it's just coming at you. Like and you got and not only that, there's accountability. It's not just like listening to a sermon. You think, oh, that's a good sermon. I had some good points and things like that. You're accountable for it. They test you on it. They have leverage against you. You know, you get a bad grade. You're gonna lose your place in school. And, you know, if you don't master this material, and so you you your your knowledge of the Bible, your intellectual knowledge of the Bible, just going up and up and up and up and up. And it's growing way faster than really anyone's ability to incorporate the teaching into your life. And, you know, knowledge, just knowledge, it can be increased in a crash course. The only crash courses I know of that involve godliness, you know, that lead to godliness are, are the school of suffering, you know, that no one signs up for. And that sometimes go on a long time themselves, more than a semester or, or two to four years of semesters. But among, so among the Bible college and seminary types and even among people who hire them to lead their churches, there's a great temptation to mistake mere intellectual knowledge of the Bible with, uh, with spiritual maturity. And those are not the same things. The Spirit, you know, it really comes to completion when you apply it, in other words, when you live it, when you obey it, you not only learn that Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive, but you give because that what Jesus says and you believe it and you want to obey it. And you, you, you not only know that Jesus said to forgive, but you forgive because he said that and taught that and you want to obey him. And that's that's where the growth is, not just the learning but the but the living. And so as you grow in your knowledge of the scriptures as a result of your involvement here, which we want you to do, uh, see that you add obedience or you won't get you won't get to where we're trying to take you and you and you really you won't get to where you want to go either in in your walk with Christ. Well, well what else is a disciple? We define a maturing disciple as one who is sharing his or her life and resources with fellow believers. That's fellowship. Uh, the third part of our third part of our name. <laughs> That's in the name too. Um, we're all familiar with the phenomenon of the lone wolf Christian who, who in his own mind, I think, is is so privatized the Christian life. And, and there should be a private aspect to it, of course, right? There should be a one-on-one. You know, you don't have to come to church to, to meet with God. But there's, there are people who have so privatized it that they basically see no need for other believers in it. Uh, he doesn't really need a pastor shepherd other than the great shepherd, Jesus. Uh, he doesn't need elders to keep watch over his soul. He doesn't need other believers to live the life with or even have that soft and uh, natural kind of accountability of being in partnership and ministry with fellow believers. Sometimes, and this is not all the time, but sometimes it's because no church is worthy of their fellowship. (laughs) Can't find a good one. Can't find one good enough. And I think sometimes, well, the only acceptable church 
for that person is the, you know, the church of four themselves, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but that's not all the time. That's not all the time. Sometimes it's not because of some axe to grind. It's just they don't see the need. It's a one-on-one relationship with the Lord, and what it really, what's all that, the rest of it, all that is just tradition, and it is, there's no need for it. My initial counsel, when I had the chance to give it, is that it seems to me, and I haven't quantified this, I haven't counted it up or anything, but it seems to me about half of the New Testament commands given to disciples of Christ cannot be obeyed apart from being in relationship with other believers. I say about half. It might, it might not be half. It might be less than half. But it's a lot. I, and I'll, I'll read some to you. I'm not going to quote the verses. But, you, but they'll ring familiar to, to you. Love one another. Love one another. It's about 11 times. About 11 times in the New Testament you read those words. Love one another. It's two words in Greek. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. How do you do that by yourself? Uh, be at peace with one another. I'll, I'll read a bunch of them here. Uh, and you'll, they'll ring familiar to you. And they're, and they're all chapter and verse. The, the, the references aren't in the bulletin because there's too many. Be at peace with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Welcome one another. Don't provoke or envy one another. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Bear with one another which means put up with. Always seek to do good to one another. Don't speak evil against one another. Don't grumble against one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Through love, serve one another. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Don't pass judgment on one another. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth to one another. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Don't lie to one another. Encourage one another and build one another up. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Teach and admonish one another when you're worshiping. It's Ephesians 5. Or Colossians 3, rather. And here's the granddaddy of them all. I'll, and I'll quote this one, Hebrews 10:24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And that's not all of them. How do you do, how do you obey? I mean, that's the word, you know, you got to obey the scripture. How do you obey any of those things apart from being engaged and active in the life of a functioning, you know, a group of believers? How do you do that? I mean, forgiving yourself can't count for forgiving each other, can it? <laughs> Admonishing yourself? Encouraging yourself? It's not what it says. And so, uh, so a great many, I'm saying about half, you know, but I, I don't know if that's true or not. 
but it's a lot of them. Uh, a great many biblical commands are necessarily set aside and ignored if one chooses to live the Christian life in isolation, as is the habit of some. Now, I say, you know, think I'm t- talking about lone wolf Christian, you know, who's away and you never see him. But, you know, it's also possible to hold yourself in isolation even if you come to church. Nobody's allowed in. Nobody's allowed to know. Right? You can, you can slip in and slip out. And you can work it to where, yes, you're going but no, you're not doing it. Just like with the worship. You can come here and not worship. Even if you're sitting in the worship service. Well, you can also kind of be associated. You maybe could even be a member, but not, not so that people share your life. Well, the second argument I'd make to the aloof is that God quite purposely and intentionally has put different gifts in different people so that we need one another to benefit from the fullness of the Holy Spirit's ministry. Uh, So don't isolate yourself because people, because God has things for you in your growth as a disciple that only come through other people have been uniquely gifted by God. And listen, the preacher or the teacher is not the only one. He's not the only one. And there are others that God has prepared, God has gifted, enabled, who can minister to you in ways that the preacher or teacher maybe can't. Probably can't. That's one thing. Don't deprive yourself of what God has for you by being aloof from other people. And you know, and you know what else? Everyone's gifted. Don't deprive the church. Don't deprive them of how God has gifted you. Don't. It's uh, it, it's not all vertical. Now, I want before we leave this point. There's kind of an elephant in the room on this particular aspect of discipleship. It it says we define a maturing disciple as one who is sharing his life and resources <laughs> with uh, fellow believers. You know, the cynical among you, I don't think, I'm sure there's nobody cynical here. But if there were someone here, they'd say, that's church lingo for giving money. <laughs> you have to give, share your life and resources. Give money. They want to tell you you got to give money, but they don't want to be vulgar about it, and they just they just they don't want to say we want disciples. We define disciples of people who give money to us. You have to be more coy about it than that. So they say resources. Share your life and resources with other believers. How euphemistic. How clever. So let's be clear about it. We say in there sharing life and resources with other believers because resources is is much more than money. I'll face the money straight on in a few minutes, but it includes your back sometimes when it's time to help somebody move. 
It doesn't cost you any money. But it's a resource, right? It costs your time when when somebody needs your time. It in, it includes a meal you might make for the family who's sick. And and you know, you take some meals so they don't have to cook themselves or when they're bereaved. Uh, so it's it's more so it really is a reason to say resources rather than just try not to say money and be vulgar about it. But it also includes money. It's the most fungible of all resources, right? <laughs> the most fungible. And so, and I'd also like to point out that we don't define this aspect of money, in, you know, in terms of amount, right? And we don't we don't say that it that to be a disciple you have to give money to this church. That's not in the statement, and we're not just trying to be coy about it. Our uh, we don't discourage, for example, we do not discourage giving to ministries and missions that are not in this church, in fact, that are not this church, you know, but but in, in fact, we encourage it, and we have before. Our, our church supports missions, but any missionary would tell you, and I, th- I think it's true, any missionary would tell you that if their only support came from what they received from churches, came from checks they got from churches, they would starve to death. The lifeblood of missionary support is always individual donors. Always individual donors. And so we we even encourage uh, people to giving to people who might not who might not be a 501c3 corporation that can send you a, a tax exempt statement at the end of the year so we don't say that to be a disciple you have to give money money to us uh, and, and by the way just say members of the church you know when you join the church they do pledge to support the church financially and we're kind of straightforward about it you know, it's part of the it's part of being the member of the church. We're in partnership and ministry, and we all finance it. So just to know, just to know, we face it kind of head on. But you don't. But you certainly don't have to be a member here to be a growing disciple of Jesus Christ, do you? And we don't define it that way. A follower of Jesus Christ, a developing disciple. A maturing disciple will have skin in the game, financially speaking. And we believe that. You know who, what Bible character, here's a trick question. What Bible character, what person in the Bible taught more about money than any other person? It's Jesus. And you know Jesus wasn't saying, hey, everybody give me money. Send money and I'll pray for you. Send, you know, you know it wasn't about him. But why did he teach so much about money? He knew that our attitude toward money is a tremendous, a spiritual indicator. You know, how we handle money, it's a tremendous spiritual indicator. So he says things like, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He says things like, don't lay up treasures on earth. 
where thief and moth destroy, but lay up treasures in heaven. He says things like, you cannot serve God and wealth. And so what he says, talk is cheap, but when your money's involved, it gets serious real fast. Your checkbook really is, and mine too, it really is a pretty solid indicator of what's important to you and what's not. And what you think is important to you and what's really important to you might not be exactly the same thing. Oh, yeah, that's very important. What would you give? Would you give? Would you send them some money? Well, you know, it's kind of tight right now. (laughs) And for most people to give, for most believers, it's a real, I'll say for all believers, giving. Well, I say I think maybe somebody's super wealthy and it doesn't they can give a lot and it doesn't really impact them. Uh, but so I'll say for most for most believers to give is a real act of faith in God's provision. Can I trust God to provide for my needs even if I give some money away? This is why you know I don't I don't talk about money hardly ever. I've even been criticized for that. But uh, but this is why I never say give till it hurts, because it hurts some people just to think about it. I'm just bringing up the subject makes me hurt. <laughs> and I haven't, but it is a real, it's a faith step to say, you know, to to lay up treasures in heaven and to, and to trust that God will take care of me even if I give some money away. And I haven't said a thing about amounts, and I haven't said a thing about percentages. And that, and that line in the bulletin don't, excuse me, doesn't either. Because for the purpose of discipleship, the far more important thing is just the act, the decision to give. And it's a, it's a real indicator. It is a real indicator to yourself and to others. Because you just won't give, you will not give to things that aren't important to you. And you won't give where you don't really believe. You won't give if you really don't believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. You won't do it. If you don't believe it, you won't do it. You, you won't, if, if you don't believe that God is meeting your needs now, you won't see your way clear to, to give up. So he's not giving me enough right now to get by. I can't give. So don't tell yourself, that, oh, well, I contribute in other ways, even if you do. Because I'm not talking amounts. I don't care what it is. I don't care how much it is. We had a, it's off my notes, but I got a little time. The, um, in times past, sometimes the, the uh, whoever was taking care of the books at the time, if there's a couple of cents in the box or something, they said, well, you know, let's let that, because we got to figure percentages and take a tenth of it and this and that. And what if there's two cents in there that a child maybe has put in? And we were, and at that time, we were reporting what the offerings were in the bulletin every time. Uh, but 
I said, no, you got to put that two cents. Got Don't just let it ride till there's a dollar. That two cents might be the most important offering given that week. And that child needs to see in the bulletin next week that you know we deposited a thousand eight hundred and twenty dollars and two cents. <laughs> and you know, so I'm not talking about amounts. It's it's this the act of it. And don't tell yourself that that part of the Christian life is for other people. People are more well off, you know. People wealthier, people more established than you. We're just getting started. We're just brand new. We don't have hardly any money at all. You have what God gave you. And God will supply your needs. And it's a, it's a mark of discipleship. And it's a step of faith to give. And I'm not asking how much. Because I know, I know that it would be a big step forward in faith for some people, even adults, to put $5 in the $10, $20—it'd be a big step. It would be a big step for some people. And if that hasn't been a part—and once again, I'm not saying it has to come here. We don't think that. And I'm not saying it even has to come to, you know, to a 501c3 that will give you a tax exempt, you know, to be helping a neighbor who needs groceries. But if that's not a part of your living as a follower of Christ, we think it is one of the cutting edges of your discipleship. It's one of the it's one of the issues between you and the Lord. That will help you a lot. We define a maturing disciple as one, uh, among these other things, who is sharing his life and resources with other believers. And finally, we define a maturing disciple as one who is sharing Christ with those who don't know him. And I haven't met, left much time to talk about this much. I'm thinking we'll maybe do more about this in May and, and in the summer. But where this starts is, is a heart that desires other people to know the Lord that you know. Um, uh, you want other people to have what you have in Christ. That you share something of the love that God has for the world that moved him to send the Son in the first place, John 3.16. Uh, it's to have this, as Paul says, the love of Christ poured out in our hearts uh, that wants people to come to know him. And after that, after that desire is there, it's a matter of um, things like being a friend of sinners like Jesus, like our Lord and Master before us, friend of tax gatherers and sinners. It's a matter of breaking these sound barriers. Like the first time, you know, you out yourself as a believer in Jesus with someone you've met. Uh, speaking the name of Jesus in a way that identifies you as a follower of his. Sometimes it's a sound barrier, right? And the longer you wait, the harder it gets. But saying something that shows, that tells other people, you're a follower of Christ. 
another sound barrier, ask, actually asking permission uh, to share the gospel and sharing it. Another sound barrier, actually inviting someone to embrace it for themselves and, and, and be saved. Uh, Jesus said, you should, like I, I say, I'm not really delving into this as much, but Jesus said today, you, he said, you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my, Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses. He didn't just say, you shall finance my witnesses whom I'll send across the world. <laughs> he said, you shall be my witnesses. And we believe so disciples are. So look at the back of that bulletin once in a while. It's there every week. You don't have to look at it every week. I certainly don't. <laughs> but look at it once in a while and ask, is it working for me? Is it working for me? Where am I developing as a follower of Jesus Christ? And where have I stalled? Uh, what is this church doing that I could get involved in that would help me grow in that area? as a follower of Christ. What could I do to grow as a worshiper of God? What, what could I do to grow in my knowledge of the Scriptures and obedience to them? What could I do to better be a part of the family of God here? What could I do to be a better witness? The, the leaders ask that. They, you know, is what we're trying to do, you know, once in a while. We try to keep stay on it. What are we doing? Does this activity that we're thinking about, does this help us toward that end of making disciples of Jesus Christ? Is this about worship? Is this about instruction? Is this about fellowship? Is this about evangelism or, or witnessing? And the leaders ask, you know, to create opportunities for those parts of growth. And, you know, we, we love for people to come to this church. We love seeing you. And we miss you when you don't come. But we are looking for more than just someone to fill a seat. We want to obey our Lord and Master. And He told us all to make disciples of each other. Father, once again, we simply pray today that our church would be successful in what we think we are doing. Let us make disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of the Lord Jesus, the head of the church. And may the work be successful in each and every person that has some level of involvement here. May each one, from the one who's new in the faith to one who's spiritually mature, continue to grow deepen our sense and practice of worship, both when we're together and, and privately. May we deepen in our knowledge of the Scriptures and grow in our obedience to it. May our fellowship with one another grow deeper and more effective, more heartfelt, more loving. 
May we obey more and more the, all the one another's of your word. Embolden our witness to br- and bring people to us who have been prepared by your Holy Spirit to hear and receive the gospel. Increase the faith of every believing person here today. And let the beginnings of faith spring up in any who remain outside of Christ up to now. For their eternal blessing, for our everlasting joy, and for your glory both now and forever. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.